there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. The idea of using examples is to try and make the work less theoretical and more practical. Because we don't really like practical, because it means we have to try to do something, which means we have to make some effort, which means, oh, why do I have to do that? And part of the, the last thing we talked about, about you know, love of the work, valuation, well, you don't have to do that. It comes to a time where you start to realize what you are, how it is for you, and then you want to do that to avoid what you are and how it is for you, to get that transformed into something else. I've told you many, many times, and the work says many times, understanding is the greatest force that we can create in ourselves. Without understanding, force will tend to go to violence. With understanding, force can be directed because you have understanding, you will also have the ability to give your attention to what it is you understand. Violence is rooted in self-will. Violence is not rooted in understanding. Violence is rooted in self-will. Understanding is the mean, the arithmetical mean between knowledge and being, the two sides of us that esoteric teachings break us down into, essentially. In our example this morning, you can be broken down into two sides in a lot of different ways. But this morning, what we're talking about is the knowledge and being. Will doesn't belong to the knowledge side. It belongs to the being side. But people don't know that. People think will belongs to the knowledge side. So they think if they get more knowledge, then they can will something and do it. But this is exactly wrong. Mechanical will is feelings and desires plus the quality of learning or knowledge which determines if mechanical man or automatic man will act with violence or understanding in any given situation. So let's take an example of that. You have someone who has some education, first education, and you have someone who has, who has really not much of a first education. The one with the first education has studied language, he studied music, he studied history, he studied art. He has a fair amount of knowledge and a good quality of knowledge. But the one who hasn't studied those things, hasn't really gotten much of a first education, his school was the streets. And he grew up in a neighborhood where all the kids were thieves. And so he knew how to pick locks and bust windows and get into cars and steal radios and like that. So his first education was not such a good quality. If the object of the education is to become a good householder, if the object of the education is to survive, which of course it was in the, first, in, the, in the case of the one who was raised on the streets, got his education on the streets, he's going to have certain feelings and desires that the one with, let's call the higher education, is not going to have. His quality of learning, his quality of knowledge is going to be different. That will determine whether the mechanical man will act with violence or understanding in a situation. Which one of the two are mechanical? This is a trick question, I just let me warn you. They both are, that's right. They're both mechanical because education doesn't make you not mechanical, at least not your first education. The purpose of your second education is to help you to see that you are mechanical and that you could be some other way. 
and then how to actually attain that awareness, that consciousness. And if you'll apply that knowledge from your second education to your being, then theoretically you will alter your level of being, you will alter your consciousness, you will change, you will be transformed. When I say that will belongs to being, we don't always connect it up, but you've also heard me say we know better and act worse. What this actually means is the part of us that acts the will is at a lower level than our level of knowledge. So when you think that your will is connected with your knowledge, you will think that you can do something and then you won't be able to do it. You'll think that because you read a book and it told you that doing this was dangerous and doing that would make you sick and doing this would do that, then you say, oh, well, then I won't do that because now you have the knowledge. But your will is to still do the other because your knowledge hasn't really touched your will. It hasn't really touched your being. It's just been kept in the knowledge part of you, the knowledge side of you. And that is why people know better and act worse because their level of knowledge is higher than their level of being where the will, the chief part of the will, resides and acts from. When do people act from violence instead of understanding? When they have no understanding, when they have no will, and why do they have no will? Because they have not combined the knowledge that they have with their being. They haven't raised their level of understanding, which is the third thing that comes from bringing together knowledge and being. Knowledge and being brought together and applied create the force of understanding. The force of understanding is where we will go rather than mechanically to violence if we have raised our level of being sufficiently so that we can act from our understanding because we really can't act from just knowledge alone. We have to act from understanding, which is the combination of knowledge and being. So being then supports knowledge. So will then supports the knowledge of what to do. We all know what to do. We all know what's right. This is not, it's not difficult. On, now, we may not know what's right in some areas, but basically, we know what's right. Curtis and I were talking. He was having a, going for a walk, and he calls me on his walks often. And he, he was walking along, and, and I said, well, is there anybody on the street there around you now? He said, well, I'm already home. I said, well, when you were out on the street, was there anybody on the street? And he said, yeah, yeah. And I said, okay, well, you have an agreement, even though it's unspoken, that you're not going to, when you walk by somebody on the street, you're not going to poke them in the eye with a sharp stick. Even though you don't even know the person, you have this agreement that you won't do that. It's a societal agreement. And if you break that agreement, then we have what is called a police force and courts where they will come and get you and put you in a place where people who break their agreements live. And then all the people who break their agreements then all have to make agreements because there they are. And their agreements will be at a much lower level, their agreements may be more stringent, more strict than the agreements we have out here, but they will be more violently enforced than we enforce them out here. Because out here, we have more understanding, and in there, they have more violence. Because that's the way it is, because of the level of understanding. It's not only a question of what we know, but what we are. You realize that a person can be a liar, or a person can tend or strive to be truthful. You know that a person can be unreliable or a person can make effort and strive to be reliable. A person can be a thief or a person can make effort and when someone makes a mistake or someone drops uh, money in the street, they don't just pick it up and take it. They make the effort to go and find the person and make sure they get it back. 
You know that somebody can be a troublemaker who just stirs things up. You know that people can be gossips. And then you know with some attention and some effort, you can bite your tongue and not gossip. All of these things belong to quality of being. So clearly, being isn't enough. It's the quality of being. So taking your knowledge and applying it to your being, you see that the being that you want to develop from that is quality being. Because you understand that if everybody steals, if everybody lies, if everybody cheats, if everybody murders, this is going to be like the other place where we put those people who break the rules. It's not going to be like we want it to be. But the fact that we have had enough influence, be influence and see influence in our society, that we have come to this place where we can see a difference. Now, the line blurs when it gets away from things like shooting people and stabbing people and breaking into their house and stealing what's theirs. When it comes to white-collar crime, we really can't see it so much. We don't have such black-and-white lines. You notice that someone can steal $40 million from retirement funds and he gets five years in jail and he gets to keep the money. There's something wrong with that. But we haven't gotten to the point where we know quite how to deal with that yet. Unless, of course, we deal with it violently. We do know exactly how to deal with that. Well, we, we should string that guy up, take everything he's got, sell his wife and kids and kill him and then give it all back to the people. It's like, right. So what I'm saying is the problem is we can't observe our violence. We cannot observe our violence when we're being violent. Why do you suppose you can't observe your, your violence? Well, justification is one reason, but the bottom line is when you're negative, you're asleep. When you're violent, you're asleep. People who are violent are not awake. It's just that simple. People who are violent are not awake. The more deeply you sleep, the more violent you will tend to be. We're going to work with the emotional center. We're going to talk about the emotional center. But this week, we're going to start at the bottom in the moving part. What we have here is the emotional center. We know that the emotional center has the moving part of the emotional center. And we know that the emotional center, like all the centers, has two parts initially a negative part and a positive part. So it can be divided. So any, any center can be divided up in that way. Any part of any center can be divided up in that way. So then the work divides up for purposes of understanding how our parts work. And if we understand how our parts work, then we're going to be able to operate ourselves with more awareness, with more clarity, with more precision. Because we want to be able to operate with precision. Wouldn't it be nice if you could say what you meant to say? Precisely? Wouldn't it be great if you could do what you meant to do precisely? If you could operate your mechanism, if you could understand the parts of your mechanism and operate it, then you could do that. Then all that great knowledge you have about all the wonderful things to do, you would actually be able to do some of them. How great would that be? And that is what this work is about. It's about learning how to identify our parts and use our parts so that we can live with awareness, precision, so that we can speak, so that we can relate, so that we can do what we have to do in life the way we wish to do it, rather than whatever way we end up doing it. The line of least resistance or wherever we woke up and out, of, out of a sound sleep. It's, we were like sleepwalkers. And sleepwalkers don't always walk back to their bed. Sometimes they're out on 34th Street and they wake up. A car horn blows and they wake up suddenly. And here they are standing in their nightgown, freezing, and they don't understand how they got there. And that's pretty much what we're like. So in the moving part of the emotional center, what you find, and remember that we sleep in the lower parts. The moving and emotional parts are the lower parts of a center, the bottom two floors of the three-story house. And we sleep 
in the lower parts because there's no attention or because the attention is held by a subject rather than directed. And the only place where we wake up is when we direct our attention. And the only place we can do that, mostly right now, most of us, the only place we can do that is in the intellectual parts of centers where we can direct things because it is the slowest part of a center and so it's easiest for us to deal with things when they're going slower. When you learn to drive, you don't learn to drive 150 miles an hour. You learn to drive slowly. You don't learn on a racetrack. You learn on city streets or in a parking lot because it's easier for us to manage all of the different parts that we're unfamiliar with, to manage them all, begin to manage them one by one or connect them up slowly. It's easier for us to do it slowly. In the mechanical parts, which are the lower parts, the moving and emotional parts, there are going to be certain things that we can see so that we can identify what part we're in. Here's what those things are going to be like. Coarse comedy. We have people who will automatically, if somebody says something and it, there's any way it can be construed, will automatically bring up some toilet humor about it. And we've made a big thing of this and said, aha, we point and say toilet humor, toilet humor. And what that is, is that's that coarse comedy. And it is mechanical, strictly mechanical. We like to pretend that it's not. We like to say that we're conscious. We like to imagine all that. But the truth is, if you're hearing that coming out of your mouth, or if you're hearing it coming out of someone else's mouth, you know that they're in a mechanical part of a center. Love of excitement, pageantry, big shows like going to Las Vegas and watching big shows and smoke and mirrors and boom and you know, all the stuff they do there. That's all mechanical. All of that stuff is mechanical. It's not that difficult to understand, is it, that people are bringing in billions of dollars through that. People are not going and spending that money consciously, no matter how conscious they think they are. Sentimentality is mechanical. Love of being in a crowd, crowd emotions, mob emotions, lower half-animal emotions, unconscious cruelty, selfishness, cowardice, envy, jealousy, and the various other forms of nastiness that human beings often manifest when they are in mechanical parts of centers. In the moving part, you have the mechanical expression of emotions, laughing and crying, cheap humor, coarse humor, toilet humor, that kind of stuff. Then we have the emotional part of the emotional center. The emotional part may be different in different people. Not everybody's the same in this part. It's not as mechanical as the moving part. But it's still mechanical. And why is it mechanical? Because it's holding your attention. Because there's some subject holding your attention. You're still not directing your attention. Whereas in the moving part, your attention is not there. It's either wandering or it's not there at all. The emotional part of the emotional center is less mechanical, but it's still mechanical. So we have degrees of mechanicalness. It's not just off and on. And as I said, it can be different in different people. So you have, for example, in the positive part of the emotional part of the emotional center. You have emotions like religious emotions, aesthetic emotions. What are aesthetic emotions? It's about beauty. It's being able to appreciate beauty. It's a good way to put it. Moral emotions. These obviously can be very, can still be mechanical, but they're things that can hold your attention. They're not strictly mechanical, but they are still mechanical. 
And you can see moral emotions can create a tremendous amount of problems. Religious people have moral emotions. And what they will do in their most, in, if they go to the negative part of the emotional part of the emotional center, what they end up manifesting is cruelty, obstinacy, coldness, jealousy. So they see somebody over here has a bigger church and they start to get negative about it those people in that church and they see that those people in that church do this and they don't do that and so they take their moral religious emotions and now they have allowed them to turn negative and so the next thing you know they burn the church down or whatever and it all leads to violence because there's no understanding and there's no understanding because they have not put all of those religious emotions, aesthetic emotions, moral emotions into practice and altered their being, lifted their being, raised their level of being so that they can create the force of understanding. As people do that, the churches get smaller and smaller and smaller because fewer and fewer people are willing to put forth the effort to do that until you finally have what we should have. The only way it actually works is big churches don't work. What works is little groups of 10, 20 people that know each other and treat each other like a family and work with each other and develop and create the force of understanding and then apply that to all of life. Because understanding is understanding how one part relates to another part and how all those parts relate to the whole. It takes a lot of work and that's why there are so few people doing it. So as I said, the emotional part may be different in different people. Religious, aesthetic, moral emotions could lead to conscience. We're talking about real conscience here. We're not talking about acquired conscience. It could lead to conscience, or it could stay in acquired conscience and never really get beyond that. When we're identified with the negative side of the emotional part, we tend to be cruel, obstinate, cold, jealous, but certainly less primitive than the negative part of the moving part. I mean, the negative part of the moving part is really Stone Age, medieval. We can observe a violent state afterwards. So the intellectual center may remember, for example, some expressions used when we were violent. I've heard people talk about violent episodes that they've had, and they can remember things that they said, expressions that they used, and expressions that someone else used, so they can remember that. The moving center will have recorded gestures. I remember a story someone told me when they were violent of a gesture that they made. So they could remember the gesture because it was recorded in the moving part. The emotion itself will be gone. When we're not in a state of fear, for example, fear seems unreal. Nobody here looks terribly frightened because fear is pretty much unreal now because you can't remember it. Well, you may remember that you were afraid, but you can't remember fear. You cannot at will call up the fear and feel it again. Isn't that nice? And yet, on the other hand, it's really not so nice. Think about it. Think about if you could remember the fear, you would not do that again. But because we can't, we do it again. Interestingly enough, as you all know, fear, in our condition, we can't feel the emotions of fear again at will. And fear often, not always, but very often leads to violence. Anyone will tell you that someone afraid, anyone who knows, will tell you that someone afraid is much more dangerous than someone who's not afraid. And the reason they're dangerous is because fear tends to violence. So that's where the danger comes from. Now, there are two kinds of fear. There's instinctive fear. It's in the emotional part of the instinctive center. And it's present in all animals. We are animals, our animal body, so it is present in us. It's the flight or fight syndrome, as they call it, which is stimulated by direct sensory impressions of danger. When there's a direct 
sensory impression of danger, it's triggered. And it's automatic, and you don't have to have any attention there at all. So it's in the most mechanical part. Now, there's another kind of fear. And the other kind of fear is in the emotional center, and it's connected with emotional imagination. Undirected imagination is very powerful in sleeping people. Undirected imagination is about the only imagination we know. There are some people who have trained their imagination and can actually direct it. Many artists have the ability to direct their imagination. And I don't mean just painters or sculptors. I mean musicians, many artists, architects have the ability to direct their imagination. They have trained that. So it is possible to do that. Imagination can be directed and it can become very, very helpful. But undirected, mechanical, it can be really crazy. And not so crazy, but it will tend to lead to violence. Fear of heights, fear of being buried alive, fear of drowning, fear of losing your job, your family, your home, living in a refrigerator box, starving to death, fear of germs. There's some people who go around like with Kleenex and touch everything with a Kleenex. They're afraid of germs. There's some people who go around with these little spray bottles that they, germ killers, and they spray it on everything. Everywhere they go, they spray it on. I've known people like that, and I've known people at varying degrees of that. Now, Connie has a, she says, you're not really afraid of germs, are you? No, I'm not. She gets upset if somebody drinks from a cup that I drank from or that or if I drink from a cup that they drank from well they might have something that you could like I don't I don't go there I just don't imagine that stuff but some people do and it's undirected imagination and why it's undirected imagination is because they're not in charge of that that's why it's a fear who wants to be afraid so it's just something that comes up through under uh, this second kind of fear this emotional imagination the fear in emotional imagination um, let's see, sudden attack. Some people are afraid they'll suddenly be attacked. So they carry a knife or a gun with them everywhere they go. And they, they're always looking over their shoulder. Loss of position, money, job, all that stuff. All arising from the negative part of the emotional center. Now, fear from the instinctive center is based on actual sensory stimulus. This can make sense. There's a bird outside by your door or a, or a little animal, a squirrel. And you open the door and the bird flies away or the animal runs away. Why? Because of that instinctive fear. And that's why they're still alive, because of that instinctive fear. That's the one that, as I said, is present in all animals. A rabbit runs from a dog. Yes? I actually worked inside an electrical vault. It was high voltage. And whenever I went down into it, everything changed. I was aware of the magnetic influences going away. Everything was different. Right. And when I crawled out of it, then everything again was different. Yes, because being alert in the instinctive, you can just... Because it's instinctive doesn't mean you can't be aware. But again, it's a mechanical awareness. It draws and holds your awareness. It's a higher level of mechanical, but it's still mechanical. So it's a higher level attention, but it's still attention held by something else. So that's a good point. So a rabbit runs from a dog. If rabbits had emotional imaginative fear, we'd never see a rabbit above ground again. Because it's crazy out there. There's always something to fear if you can imagine it. But rabbits can't imagine, so they're free of that. And it's a good thing because life can go on. But for us, you can see the incredible problems it can create. People who shut themselves in their house and never go out. People who never go near the water. People who never stand on, a, on an airmail stamp because they're, they get afraid of heights. Or people, whatever it is, people do crazy things. Now, we may be taught to control instinctive fear by discipline. So, Steve, 
says he went down into the high voltage place and he was able to control the fear, instinctive fear. There was an instinctive fear, but he could control it through discipline. So he could discipline himself and do what he had to do and become very alert, very aware, and make sure that he didn't touch anything that was going to blow him up, which is fine. People can go out and walk across a minefield. You know, they do it very deliberately. They go bit by bit, and they search every area, and they poke here and poke there, and they, they know exactly what they're doing. But they're very alert, and they'll do it for as long as they can. Then when their force ends, they go back the same way they got in, and somebody else takes over from there until they regain their force. Control of emotional fear, on the other hand, is impossible without some form of faith. You just can't do it. You've got to have some faith. You've got to have some belief. You've got to have something that animals don't have, which is why they don't have that emotional fear, because there would be no way for them to control it. Life could not possibly go on. We have it because we could learn to control it. So the very fact that we have imagination and we can make it negative shows us that imagination can be made positive, and this is how to do it. Well, one of the things that almost everybody's heard that's in the Bible is perfect love casts out fear. Love is will, and will has to come through being, but will has to be, is a function of being, comes from being, but that being has to have understanding, and that understanding comes from knowledge. The knowledge and the being come together and enhance one another and make understanding. And this is where understanding faith comes from. It's not just some blind faith. Oh, well, he said that and that's the way it is and so I believe it. It's not that at all. It's a real understanding faith. The work calls it basically the faith that that helps us to know our nothingness. Um, It's the same faith that shows us our inability to do by ourselves. It's the same faith that reveals to us that our life is not from ourselves. It's a faith that we were created. We have a purpose, a higher purpose. And let's face it, that takes faith. What kind of faith? For some people, that would be blind faith. For those people, it's because they do not understand. They have not taken in the knowledge from the right place, the right knowledge. They've not taken in the right knowledge and made the right effort to develop understanding. So for them, it has to be blind faith. So it can be dismissed instantly, which is fine. In the work, we call this catching the rope. Catching the rope. There's a rope that is just above you vertical to you, not horizontal to you. We live our lives horizontally from past to present to future. Whereas esoteric teachings say, no, there is another way. There's something above you and that you can catch that rope and pull yourself up vertically, that you can raise yourself out of this into something entirely different. We call that being born again or transformation or all of these other things that all these different disciplines, all these different religions and schools call it. So it doesn't really matter what you call it as long as you begin to understand it. That's the important thing. If you begin to understand it, then you can call it anything. The less understanding you have, the more you will be hooked up with semantics. You won't be interested in understanding. You'll be interested in splitting the hair. You'll be interested in what's right and what's wrong, weighing, measuring. You'll be interested in the empirical. Now, catching the rope heals the emotional center. The emotional center is what we need healed. It's the place where we are most screwed up. It is the most dangerous part screwed up there is. It's because all war, all violence, all of this insanity on this planet is from an emotional center that is broken, that needs to be healed. If we ascribe to ourselves our own life, the emotional center then is upside down. If we ascribe to ourselves the ability to do, the emotional center is upside down. 
If we ascribe to ourselves that we are something, that we have made ourselves, that we are the highest form of life on this planet, that we are in charge, that it's all up to us, the emotional center is upside down. You cannot possibly heal the emotional center thinking like that. It just can't be done. Internal considering doesn't cast out fear. Internal considering doesn't cast out fear. External considering does cast out fear. So perfect love. Well, what is perfect love? Will, as I've said. But how does that will manifest? It manifests in external considering. Now, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, that's called love of neighbor. In many religious traditions, it's called love of neighbor. But you see, external considering is the same thing. How do you move? How do you think? How do you feel? Now, I don't mean how do you feel right now. I mean, how is it that you think? How is it that you move? Do you know how all that happens? Well, you may be able to say, well, physiologically, this happens and that happens, but you don't know. That's the truth. You don't know. How do you think? You don't know. You just know that you think. How do you feel? You don't know. You just know that you feel. But people imagine that they know. But when you catch the rope, you realize that you don't know. When you realize that you don't know, suddenly you are less than what you thought you were. When you are less than what you thought you were, you are closer to the realization of your nothingness. You are closer to the healing of the emotional center. And once the emotional center, center is healed, everything else is going to fall into place. It will begin to heal everything. That healing will spread throughout your, your whole being. That's why this is so important, the healing of the emotional center. That's why I hammer it so hard. If you think that you do it, that you move, that you think, that you feel, if you think you do it, the emotional center has to be wrong because you don't. So the emotional center is functioning on a lie. It has to be upside down. There's no other way. A positive idea, like we didn't create ourselves, a positive idea like life can't be explained in terms of itself, can help put the emotional center right. Enough contact with esoteric ideas can open the emotions and begin the purification of the emotional center, thus lessening fear. If you lessen fear, you also lessen violence. The intellectual part of the emotional center is where the seat of magnetic center is, you can direct attention, you can have artistic creation, as I said, objective art, things like that. When fear is lessened, violence arising from it lessens as well. Believing only in ourselves generates many unnecessary fears. When you believe only in yourself, think about it. Think about how fearful life is. You start to believe in other people. You start to believe in this work. You start to believe in the possibility of transformation, not only yourself, but others as well. You start to band together in a group with people who wish the same thing you wish, to wake up, to be less violent, to be more understanding, to externally consider more, to internally consider less. And you feel safer. You're not as afraid. It doesn't mean fear isn't there. It means you're not as afraid. Less fear, less violence. Unnecessary fear, more violence. When we do believe only in ourselves, we have to be suspicious because you're the only one who can be trusted. So if you find a really suspicious, suspicious person, and there are, I mean, let's face it, there are people who, there's a, a boogeyman behind every door, you know, somebody's trying to, if somebody walks by their car, they're trying to steal it. If somebody comes up and knocks on their door, they're there to st steal from them or something. So there are people who are very suspicious. For example, there was a certain man, and he, he was a pretty good householder. He had stuff, you know, and he, he had money, he had stuff, but he believed in himself, believed in himself strongly. And he took some friends of his in his big limousine or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. He took them to a banquet. And they were all eating and drinking over at a table. And he was 
talking to someone on the other side of the room. And, and he looked over and all of his friends were laughing and having a good time. And he, because he believed in himself, he said, they're laughing me to scorn. Such a person who can say something like that, believes in himself, attributes everything to himself, admires himself, and quite frankly, has amazing pictures of himself. Now, we all can understand this to some degree because all of us have been that certain man and have looked over and seen somebody, they're talking about me. And think of how important you have to think you are to imagine that people at a party or a banquet across the room are laughing about you. It's like, you really have to be full of yourself. Because such a person can't laugh at himself, he will tend to violence. So when that man got back in the limousine with all of his friends, he was incredibly angry and violent and made all kinds of accusations and drove like a maniac and behaved very poorly with many unpleasant manifestations because he had an overabundance of self-emotions. When you can't laugh at yourself, you'll tend to be violent. It's just the way it is. When you're full of self-emotions, you'll tend to violence whenever those self-emotions are bruised. Those self-emotions don't have to be bruised by somebody tripping over them, although that can happen. Somebody can inadvertently trip over one of your big self-emotions and your self-emotion will be bruised and you will be violent. Or you can imagine a slight to your self-emotions and nobody has to even be around. You can imagine it all and you can bruise your own self-emotions and become violent. This work is about bringing what's in our being into the light of consciousness. This is what makes this work so painful. What's in our being isn't all wonderful. The liar, the thief, the cheat, the murderer, all of that is in our being. Bringing that into the light can be very uncomfortable. This is why we observe what kind of fear makes us violent. Some fear not being properly treated. And what do they do? They look around and they say, they're laughing me to scorn. The laughing me to scorn couldn't stand the way he was being treated. So he went someplace where he could be treated better got some friends who would treat him better. And it's just a matter of time before that fear comes up again, before that self-love, before those self-emotions are bruised again and the cycle begins again. It has to start again until we deal with it, until we put the fire out. The pressure cooker is still going to be blowing off steam at intervals when the pressure builds up enough. As we make connections between what we fear and our episodes of violence, Violence operates less and less freely in us. Change of being must happen when we see how we reacted mechanically and begin to act consciously. This is how it works. How you need to do it is look over your acts of violence, your episodes of violence. Bring the light of consciousness. Hear the expressions as the intellectual center repeats them for you. See the gestures as the moving center has recorded them for you. You can't, you're not going to feel the feelings, but you're still going to be able to get in the neighborhood. And when you do, record them, make note of them, and bring awareness to it. And don't justify yourself for it. Tell the truth about it, be genuine, and remember that this is what this work is about. Bringing these shadow selves into the light so that your emotional center can be healed and so that we can live in a place where violence isn't the rule of the land. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, 
I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.